0: The following is a message from Reverend Ken Meldon of Wellsprings Congregation. I don't often use like formal readings when I start my messages here at Wellsprings. I wanted to share two brief readings with you today to kind of set an intention on the Sunday before the observation of Martin Luther King Day. First is from Martin Luther, obvious founder of Lutheranism. He didn't know he was founding Lutheranism when he was just doing his thing. The second is from Howard Thurman, who is one of Dr. King's teachers and is also related to our Unitarian Universalist tradition. First one from Martin Luther. Talking about Christmas and the nativity. He said, do not make of Mary a stone. Think there was no one there to bathe the baby, no warm water, nor even cold, no fire, no light. The mother was herself midwife and the maid. The cold manger was the bed and the bathtub. Who guided her? She had never had a baby before. Do not make of Mary a stone. And the second from Howard Thurman, also reflecting on the time after Christmas. When the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flocks, then the work of Christmas begins. To find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among the people, to make music in the heart. So as I said, those two readings help me set an intention for today. Help me remember that statues and stamps do not represent who MLK was. The real MLK was imprisoned, many of us know this already, but we can forget, was imprisoned multiple times, was spied upon by his own government, and when they released the findings of those secretly, covertly recorded conversations, said, Why don't you kill yourself? He was stabbed, he received death threats, his house was bombed. And then finally, as we all know, he was assassinated. The real MLK. I have nothing against this celebration tomorrow on the day of service. But that's not him. Not the full measure of the man. The real MLK was a threat to the established order. Some of you remember this very clearly. I'm not telling you something you didn't live through. The established racial order, the established economic order, and more than anything else, the established ethical or immoral order of his day. And maybe today we can remember that his vision is not just from the past. It still speaks directly to the prevailing winds of greed and racism and oppression of our age right now. So tomorrow, please, yes, participate in the days of service. I'm glad we remember him. So many prophets' names are lost to history. Yes, remember him, but also remember the stamps and the statues. They don't really point at who he was and who he can still be for us. The challenge that he offers to all of us to transform And to transform more in the direction of that arc of justice and love that he told us about over and over again. And helped to bend more in the direction of. I want to remember Dr. King this morning in connection with this message series. This bouncing back, this capacity for resilience. And remember that that resilience isn't ultimately just individual and it's certainly not individualistic. It has to do with our relationships with each other, with the society in which we live. And remember how radical resilience can really be. And especially this week with, you know, our eyes for obvious reasons focused on Washington, D.C., I've been thinking a lot again about the dream speech. Perhaps the single greatest piece of American oratory that ever was. And i will probably shared this with you before, and I imagine as long as I'll be preaching on Dr. King with you, I'll share this story again because it's just so incredible. Do you know that in the original copy of that speech, it wasn't written? That Mahalia Jackson, the great gospel singer, was there on that sweltering hot day in August 1963. And she called out to Martin, tell them about the dream, Martin. Tell them about the dream. Because he had been working with various parts of it in his speeches and sermons up until that point, And he extemporaneously came up with the dream speech. The dream, part of the dream speech in that moment. I gotta tell you, it makes this preacher want to fold up his pulpit and call it a career. (laughs) Unbelievable. Calling this country, still calling all of us to live out the meaning of its creed that all of us are created equal. And this vision woven throughout this image of children. Maybe not today, he said, but someday that was his vision, that was his dream. That the children, his children, the children of all of us, would sit down together at the table of fellowship. This is how I understand Dr. King's dream. As a vision of resilience for our entire society. Multi-generational resilience for all of us, not just individual The dream is finally a vision of who we might all be if we all bounce back together and understand that our lives finally only rise together. The method, of course, and even this is misunderstood. The method that he brought was radical nonviolence. Gandhi's method. And sometimes when we teach, we talk about nonviolence, we talk about nonviolence, this was a nice thing. Again, some of you live through this. The method of nonviolence is what it challenges and reveals is the immense amount of violence and trauma that is already there. This is what nonviolence allows us to see. The wickedness that is in our midst. It confronts the traumas, the pain, and asks, can we see with eyes of compassion and love and thereby be involved in the most resilient thing that there is, which is to be healers? Of all that dehumanizes us. It is not, I believe, as great an orator as Dr. King was, an accident at all that he mentioned children in his dream speech, that he mentioned generations to come, that he knew that what was happening in his life was contributing to what was to be. And so I want to talk about the past, yes. Sometimes there's a misunderstanding of the present moment as if it is an island unto itself. But what is the present moment other than arriving here right now with a whole succession of pasts that have led us to this moment? The present moment is not cut off. It is a karmic result of what has come before. Our culture loves to talk about the past all the time. The things we like to celebrate, right? Veterans Day and Memorial Day and all kinds of parades that celebrate all kinds of heritages of where folks came from where they think they came from. We talk about the greatest generation. We love to celebrate the past. Until for many of us, and by many of us I mean especially those of us with white skin, the conversation turns to Race and especially the experience of African Americans and then it becomes often why do we talk about the past so much why do we stay stuck there let's talk about what's present let's talk about what's here why can't we let go of that the more we talk about it the more we perpetuate it oh and by the way please don't make me feel guilty my ancestors weren't here or even if they did they're not me and that shuts down conversation real quick. And i got to tell you, I've had those words leave my mouth in the past. I remember once, especially, I could be a real drunken fool back in the day, and one act of foolishness was years ago at a college party in which I was just passing by a couple of African-American men with women who were having a really serious conversation about race and racism, and I uttered those words. My answers weren't here when that happened. We kind of yelled at each other for a couple minutes and then moved on. If I knew who those people were, who those two young black women were, I would go back and I would apologize. And so I'm apologizing today because I contributed to that narrative that white people were just too fragile to talk about this stuff. I'd like to believe I'm not as fragile then and now as I was then. And I want to talk about the past in a particular way today. I want to talk about something that maybe some of you have heard about. And maybe for some of you is a very, very personal thing. It's something called ACE. Adverse childhood events. Adverse childhood events. There was a study done a couple decades back. This study in the 90s revealed that there was a profoundly important connection between ten different factors of adverse childhood experiences. Having a parent who was incarcerated, a parent who experienced profound poverty or economic insecurity in the house, a parent who may have abused you physically, emotionally, sexually, mental illness. All these kinds of experiences and what they were finding out in this study decades later is that your chances of developing diabetes and pulmonary disease and cancer was directly related to those adverse childhood events. Like I said, there's ten of them. You can go and look this up. There's very common in our society that at least uh, one of them shows up, something like 67% in most of our households. And one in eight of us, the study says, have at least four. The greater the number of adverse childhood events that we suffer as children predicts with frightening clarity our later well-being or lack of it in our life. Now, Biology and history is not destiny. There are effective interventions. And at the same time, the effects of these adverse childhood events are not felt equally across society. This study was so profound, such a landmark study that has been replicated in different populations over the years. And most recently, it was done here in the Philadelphia area, but not here in Chester County. It was done in impoverished communities, West Philly and North Philly. What they found is that 40% of the population that they studied, 40% had four or more of these adverse childhood events. We just take these numbers and let them sink in. 40%. Forty percent of people who don't live in a place like this, like Chester County, already having so many challenges before we get to that place that we can talk about people making their own choices, as many of us like to talk about. The past matters. Our past matters individually. Our past matters collectively. It is arrogant to think that it doesn't. These two words that very often we hear opposed, karma versus grace, grace versus karma, I would say they are intrinsically related. It is only our capacity to recognize our karma, the past causes and consequences that lead us to where we are, if we ever hope to be free enough to experience the grace which is freedom from a painful past. The great mystical Muslim poet Rumi said, don't stop looking at the bandaged place. Don't stop looking at the bandaged place. That is where the light enters you what would it be like to look at a culture with all this collective trauma and especially collective trauma concentrated in the lives of people of color and those who are poor? What would it look like to be people who said, we will look consistently at America's bandaged places and not look away and perhaps then Know the grace of what it is to see a different light of understanding and compassion enter us and our lives. To take the suffering of tens of millions of our fellow people in this country seriously. This is what MLK was pointing us toward. Don't look away from the bandaged places. Don't look away from the violence, individual or collective. Don't look away. Because what he would say, I believe, is that our spiritual maturity is entirely dependent upon our ability to see the fullness of our lives and especially those parts we don't want to see and maybe sometimes those people that we don't have to see or maybe we blame them, whoever the them is. If we only look at the parts we want to see, well, prophets of all kinds have, have, have warned us about this. Then they say we're worshiping idols of our own construction. We can't really see life. We can't really see God. So please let us not be people who look away from the bandaged and the hurting places. And this is that uh, part of the message that Frank told you about. I'm going to show you right now. in Just one minute. This is from James Baldwin one of our greatest teachers and our greatest prophets, and he is using a word in here that, yes, I do not use. A word with a profoundly painful legacy and energy within it. And the job of our prophets is to listen and to pay attention to the bandage places even when we don't like what we hear or what we see. The future of the Negro in this country is precisely as bright or as dark as the future of the country. It is entirely up to the American people whether or not they're going to try to find out in their own hearts why it was necessary to have a Negro in the first place. Because I'm not a Negro. I'm a man. But if you think I'm a Negro, it means you need it. And you gotta find out why. And the future of the country depends on that. James Baldwin, he of blessed memory, is asking us do not look away. The bandaged places, from the hurting places, and especially if we are people of privilege and power, to ask how we have constructed our identity on the basis of the dehumanization of others. There is no mature spirituality that hides from the suffering of this world because that just ends up perpetuating the suffering of this world. Every week here at Wellsprings, we ask ourselves into this place. Of meditation, these wonderful words from Tiknat Han. These wonderful words. these wonderful words. If you put that up there, I love this picture. You throw thank you. These two young men, Thich Nhat Han, still with us. Martin, having left so many years ago. You know that Martin Luther King nominated Tiknat Han for the Nobel Peace Prize. please may we just give up that lie that the social and the spiritual are disconnected. (laughs) That the political and the personal have nothing to do with each other. That why we come in here to this place week after week is to somehow escape from the world. I understand it's to nurse our wounds and to get the strength that we need. But the social and the spiritual are not disconnected. They have never been. If we listen to teachers like this, Teachers that asked us, yes, cultivate heaven on earth with one conscious step and one conscious breath. Maybe we can finally take that fearless moral inventory to borrow from another tradition of this history and the legacy and the reality of racism in this country. That we can be amongst those who create the heaven on earth. Because the truth is we stand, sit, we are here in the presence of a universalist faith. And universalism means one thing. When the rubber hits the road, universalism means one thing. That we cannot ever normalize hell for any person. We cannot ever normalize hell in this life or any other possible life to come. This could be our work. What would be more important than to be a part of a movement of healers? The movement's already there. Many of us are a part of it. Many of us are wondering, what would it take to get involved? Please trust yourself in this moment. That truly, this might be what makes us someday when someone looks back at us and says, well, they were a greater generation than the greatest generation. Not for our ability to wage war, but for our capacity to finally recognize the vast pain and trauma in this country. And to know that whatever greatness we possess is entirely dependent upon the goodness we express. That greatness lies in nothing else at all. That we finally live out what Dr. King recognized, the mutual garment of which we are all a part. That what affects one affects all. And we are bound up inextricably with each other. This is why I am a man, as a man, will be at the Philly version of the Women's March next Saturday. We are inviting those of you here at Wellsprings to be a part of what's local and also what's at DC. We have people you can contact and say, let's show up together. Please, if you haven't yet, read the platform of the march. It expresses Dr. King's legacy as well as anything has since he left us. This vision of a resilient society, not just about getting through or getting by ourselves, but about contributing to the next set of causes and conditions that create less hardship and less suffering for all of us. So I'll close with this story. It's from Sharon Salzberg, who's a wonderful teacher of meditation and metta, loving kindness. She tells a story in a recent podcast I listened to, in which she talked about being at a retreat center, a large retreat center, and she was there leading a meditation retreat. And she ran into a guy who knew Dr. King many years ago. And he asked her, "Well, what do you do?" And she says, "I teach meditation." And he's like, "Okay, that's good. Forget about that." And then they kept talking a little bit more, and, and And she said, I teach specifically a kind of meditation called Metta, loving kindness, about cultivating love for ourselves and all people. And he told a story this guy did who led this peace and justice foundation. He said, I knew Martin Luther King back in the day, except I loved the way he called him. He knew him really well. He said, Marty, (laughs) that's not stamps or statues. That's Marty. That's a living, breathing person. And his friend Marty would tell him, Marty, you got to love everybody. And this person who Sharon Salzberg was talking to said, no, I don't. He said, my friend Marty said, you got to love everybody if you're going to do this work. You don't have to like everybody. God knows I don't. <laughs> but that aspiration to love everybody, to see us all as precious, and to take that additional step too of asking who is mostly, most likely to be left out of that vision of beloved community because beloved community is only beloved community if it involves all of us. May this be our real aspiration, to love everybody and to heal our world. Dr. King. His real life. asks nothing less of us. Amen. May you live in blessing. Let me pray together. Oh great and abiding love. The love that never dies. The love that never fails. The love that flows through our lives. The love that has given us. The inspired prophets of the past, not consigned to the history books, but whose words can be written on our hearts and guide us into a new way of being, a more resilient way of being, a way of being that puts the pain first that we already have so that we might in time put the healing and the resilience next. May we recognize this moment it is a call. This moment a life of this country, it is a call. May we not look away when we look at the bandaged places. May we not close our eyes, our hearts, our hands. and Recognize. In the midst of this pain. Not in spite of it. In the midst of it. This is where the light can enter us. Amen. If you enjoyed this message and would like to support the mission of Wellsprings, go to our website. WellspringsUU.org. That's Wellsprings, the letters UU.org.